Welcome to the Support Automation Show, a podcast by Capacity. Join us for conversations with leaders in customer or employee support who are using technology to answer questions, automate processes, and build innovative solutions to any business challenge. I'm your host, Justin Schmidt. Nick Mehta, good morning. Welcome to the Support Automation Show. Hey, great to be here, Justin. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Why don't we get started with where we always get started, and that's tell us a little bit about yourself and what got you into the customer experience, customer success. Gainsight does a lot of things. You've done a lot of things in your career, but there is a through line, and I would love to explore that through line with you. Yeah, totally. And it's a strange through line. It goes back to my childhood if I really like try to piece the puzzle pieces back together, because I'm sure, Dustin, you're the same way, which is you look up and you're like, wait, how did I get here? <laughs> exactly. Right? Like that's like a, that's famous song. Or how did I get here? I grew up a little bit around technology. My dad was an entrepreneur and ran some small companies, Not, nothing very big, ran some small companies in, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where we grew up. And in my, I remember going to kind of a take your kid to work day when I, my dad looked as my dad's little company when he, I was like 10 years old and we have a photo of it. And I still have that photo. And I remember my dad telling me that if you're ever going into like the tech business, the only two things that matter are building a product and selling a product. Because once you sold a product, you can move on to the next customer. And that kind of mindset that it's just about building and selling is what the history before cloud and SaaS, what before that was what everyone cared about, right? It's just right. about the next customer, get next customer, things like support and customer success really didn't matter. And I saw that in my career early on. I initially, before I got into the SaaS and cloud world, I was in a, a big software company, Symantec, and I was um, started as a product manager and eventually ran a division of Symantec. And in running that division, great team, great product and all that. But honestly, we didn't think about customers, post-sale stuff at all. Like We'd only think about it to the extent that if it was on fire, we had to fix it. Right? Like So at some point, our support hold times were too long and things like that. So then we go fix it. But it was extremely reactive. Then I went to run my first SaaS company before Gainsight, a company called Live Office. And I got turned into this world where, wait, when your customers are paying you as they go, and when they have the ability to easily switch, you can't just be reactive anymore. You can't just only think about how long the hold times are on the phone. You got to be thinking about, are they using the product well? Are they getting value? You got to be thinking about them before they call you. And that's what customers, that's all about. After selling my last company, I actually met two other folks who were working on the idea for Gainsight. And I came on as the company was getting started, came on as the CEO, but as we were just launching it, one, I, one of the founders of Gainsight is in St. Louis, lives in St. Louis, uh, Jim Everland, amazing. And, and so Jim and then his co-founder, Shreether and I, and actually Dan Steinman, who's been on your show, a few of us basically launched the company in, in 2013 as Gainsight in April, 2013. And the whole idea was, hey, as companies move to these SaaS and cloud models, they're going to go through that same narrative that I went through, which is that reactive model where, okay, you do customer support if you really need to, and just make sure the customers aren't totally pissed off at you to this new world where it's like, no, it's our job to make sure they're getting value, that they're using our stuff and customer support and customer success is not just a cost center. It's actually the way we grow. Yes. And so that's what I've been doing the last nine years now. Awesome. Yeah. It's interesting because you have the unique perspective here. You're the CEO of the companies so you're the whole business rolls up to you, but you also serve the market of the people in the success and support roles with the product for them. So it's like you, you understand that CS is not just a cost center, but also a revenue driver in a sort of intimate way that the position that you're in. And you've also been doing this long enough that I think you've, you have a really interesting perspective on this that I would love to explore. And that is 
we ask this at the top of every show. When you hear the words support automation, what does that mean to you? And then as a follow-up, how have you seen that evolution of the definition that that brings to mind in your career? Yeah, totally. No, I think that if you heard the term support automation and if you sat in the shoes of like where I was before I got in the cloud, that term is awesome. Less cost, we'll need less people, right? That was the, the world. That's why, yeah, you need, great. Less cost, less people, awesome. And now I think what we all, people that are, I think in this new SaaS cloud world would say is, can I automate support so I can create a better experience for my customers to make things easier for them, to let them to adopt our product easier, to get the value, to let my support team work on higher value functions, maybe invest more in customer success. So it's a different mindset where it's not just, God, how do I figure out ways to cut costs and support? It's like, how do I actually invest more in my customers so that they can grow, they can, they, my churn goes down, they, they spend more money with me, they become better advocates. So support automation, you can look at it on like kind of two sides of the same coin. And the way I look at it now is totally different than the way I would have looked at it 15 years ago. Yeah. It really greenfield space right now, I think, yes. to, to look and say, where can we introduce efficiencies? And business is always about, right, you generate more revenue, you try to do it with less costs. Like you yep. don't necessarily need an MBA to understand that concept, yeah, but exactly. like that's the basics of rockets are hard to do, but easy to say for sure. Exactly. And yeah. it's easy from an automation perspective to look at things where you save costs. Right. And yeah. the, the, the classic sort of paradigmatic example of this is the robot that takes over a step in the assembly line and sort of software, you've got things like marketing automation, shout out to the, the folks over at Marketo for building the first sort of marketing automation platform or whatever. Yeah. And then you've got, maybe you take AI chat and that is a sort of first line of defense before tickets get created and sent to, yeah. Yeah. We, we could go on and on. But the revenue generation side of things is where it gets really interesting to me. And in your point of view, like what is the first steps that, leaders should take when they're looking to bring in automation to help generate more revenue versus cutting costs. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think that the the mistakes, you can think of it like a maturity curve, mm. but you make mistakes along the way and you go through different stages. So I think what what people might start out thinking is support is a cost center. Let me find ways to reduce those costs. Maybe outsit, maybe you know, use people in lower cost locations, or maybe automate. And sometimes when they do that, they do that with such a like such a poorly designed experience that we've all experienced what happens to that as customers, right? That's when you have bad IVR systems. That's when you have like really shoppy connections to call centers that haven't even invested in a good voice over IP and whatever. And we all have all been through that. So that's like the worst, you know, kind of. But it is the starting point, right? Then I think what people sometimes say is, okay, we actually want customer support to be a positive experience, right? Where maybe we're, asking, we're serving the customer about their feedback, we're training our agents, we're on empathy, we're investing in our agents' development, which is awesome. And maybe we're augmenting them with some automation, some chatbots, et cetera, et cetera, knowledge automation and so on. And that's great. But you might still be thinking of them in a reactive model. You're like, oh, the job is to help the customer when they need help. And then you might start saying, gosh, like it shouldn't just be about like helping the customer and need help because for us, we want to keep that customer. We want to grow them. So even if they don't need help, we need to be in front of them. So that's where the concept of customer success comes around, right? Which is usually like a parallel team to customer support. Right. They're, they work, they're like Batman and Robin and whatever you want to say. Like they work together really closely and they usually report into the same boss who might be like the chief customer officer. 
And that customer success team is now driving things proactively, but they still need the customer support team when you get a technical issue or running into things. And so then companies start investing. Um, They often start investing still with a little bit of a reactive mindset. So you ask those companies sometimes early on, what's that customer success team's job? It's, oh, they're trying to prevent churn. And then what happens is they start saying, wait, if we do all this, it's not just about preventing churn. It's actually about getting ahead of it, driving more value for customers so they're growing with us, improving what people call net retention, which is like looking at churn, but also the expansion in your accounts. And then eventually get to the level where you're like, wait, if we want to do this well, it's not just the support team and the customer success team, because it's also about getting the feedback from those teams into the product. So you make the product better so that people don't even have to call in the first place or that it's easier to adopt. It's also about the sales team and the expectations they're setting in the sales process, right? It's the marketing team and the value prop of what we're communicating versus what we're delivering. And so then companies say, we need to apply this philosophy of customer success and customer support across the whole company. We need to retransform the way we think of the whole company. So what happened in that whole arc, by the way, that arc takes several years for the company, right? right? But that arc goes from support as a cost center, it's the last thing I want to invest in. How do I do less? To then it's, okay, I need to make my experience a little better. I need to make people hate me a little less, right? In terms of customers. To then, no, it should be about making them like me. Then should, no, it should be about driving outcomes. No, it should be about driving growth. No, it needs, everyone needs to be in it. And that's the arc that every company goes through. So don't feel bad if you're in the beginning of that. 100% of companies go through all those stages. Exactly. And you touched on this a little bit in your answer there, and I want to double click on it because I know you've written about this um, yeah. before too on metaphysical.com, which there will never be a better blog domain than, than Oh my that. God. I, I feel like I, I feel like the day that I came up with that, so my last name is Meta, which is M-E-H-T-A. And so I was kind of, it was either going to be um, Metallica or it was going to be metaphysical. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the two choices. I put a poll up on Facebook in 2008, and that was buy that domain too, just in just in case <laughs> you need to. Uh, yeah, I went through this similarly. I was like, I'm gonna start posting on LinkedIn more, and I was like, I'm gonna call it Thought Leader Schmidt, and that's gonna oh, be nice. my Leader Schmidt. It's all about it's all about the brand. But you mentioned this in your answer, and I want to double click on it because I know you've written about this as well. And that's the the concept of chief customer officer. Some of the yes. best conversations I've had on this show have been with chief customer officers. And you wrote this interesting piece on like why nearly every SaaS company should have a chief customer officer. I particularly want to dig in on on something you, you mentioned toward the end, and that is what does go under a chief customer officer? Like the obvious answer is, well, customer success, customer support, but there's more to it than that. There's some ops related stuff. There's customer marketing, which maybe is a part of product marketing. We, we could play org chart games all day long, but I'm just curious to, for, from your point of view, like what is a well defined chief customer officer, what is their charter, and how can an organization leverage a well-designed role with the right person in it? Absolutely, yeah. So let's start with the charter and then the org. And as you alluded to, Justin, the org can vary a little bit based on what the rest of the company is doing, but the charter is where it starts. And the charter is very simple, which is this uh, person is front and center on, on these two sides of the coin. So on one side of the coin is making sure the clients are getting the business outcomes they were looking for when they purchased your product and getting it with a good experience. So that's, we call that outcomes. That's like what the customer cares about. But then on the vendor side, right? Like your business, I need the clients to stay with me, spend more money and be good advocates for us in the future. So those three things, retention and expansion advocacy. So now this person, the tip of the spear on that. Now, they're, of course, not the only person that owns that, because as we alluded to before, that you know, depends on the product, it depends on the marketing and sales. But they're the person that wakes up every day and thinks about, net retention, churn, 
advocacy. My chief customer officer, Kelly Capote, she's the one that wakes up every day thinking about those things, sweating about hitting all the numbers. Okay, now how do you, what do you need to do that? The, the basic building block I have practice for 95% of companies is at a minimum putting the post-sales core functions together. As you alluded to, Justin, you've got support. Most people have a technical support, customer support. And then customer success, which is a, a more common, you know, recent practice over the last five, 10 years. Many companies have an onboarding and professional team kind of setting clients up. If you have that, it's a good place to put it. Some people have a training team, you know, training your customers on using your product and maybe even charge for that, or maybe it's free. And then as you alluded to, you get into these other areas that are either accelerants of customer success in this kind of function, or they're like the gaps in other parts of the org that you need to fill because nobody else owns them. So let me walk through some of those right? Yeah, yeah. So an example of an accelerant, many companies say, hey, to really get our customers to get value, let's create a community where they can talk to each other and learn from each other and help each other solve issues or adopt the product. And right, so community who owns that, often chief customer officers own that that online community. There's an operations element to customer success and you know, chief customer officer because you, know, you got to analyze what you're doing and figure out how to scale it and process just like you have sales ops and other functions. And so what people often do is they'll create like a customer ops org under the chief customer roster and they'll put in all the operations for support services, customer success, all under one ops leader, right? Just like a, re- a, a C- chief revenue officer will have a, a you know, sales ops leader, or revenue ops leader. Another example, something that could be an accelerant is actually um, somebody who is responsible for looking at the customer experience across the company. So you might have a head of customer experience under the chief customer officer who is doing all the the kind of you know listening posts as people call them of like surveys and all that, but also running all the cross-functional projects to say how do we improve the end-to-end experience, for example, for a customer, new customer coming on board, getting that welcome email, going through services. What's that life cycle like? Like, what's the racy look like of kind of responsibility in terms of who owns what? What's the customer journey? So you might have a customer experience person reporting the CCO. And then as I alluded to, you might have some people that are either filling gaps or building bridges. So for example, you might have a marketing team that really works with the customer success team, which is great. But if you don't, you might build a customer marketing team under, under the chief customer officer. Long-term, maybe you, you don't want that, but like short-term, somebody's got to do it, right? And some marketing teams are focused on net new, net new leads. Another example of a kind of a bridge building is we've did the, done this following thing, which a lot of companies are doing, which is building this kind of group that connects between the product team and the customer success team. So taking all that input from support, customer success, other folks, and helping to create a conduit so it gets back into the product, but not just giving feature requests, but also doing a better job with beta you know, releases, doing a better job with how you do releases and notifications. All of that, then this is long enough to Justin to know, like releases can go really well or they can go really badly. And that can cause all kinds of problems for oh, yeah. <laughs> success and everyone else. And so we, we've done this internally and a lot of people have done this. It's like, how do you create that liaison between the product organization and the customer organization? So everything you're doing in the product is done with a very customer-centric mindset. So there's a lot that could be under this charter. The last thing that sometimes is under there, and this is probably the more advanced organizations, is some companies start saying, look, I want my chief customer officer to have revenue. I want all the revenue from my existing customers to, to go to them, my renewal, my expansion, and so on. And so sometimes they'll actually have an account management team underneath them or a renewals team, and they'll own the number. And so what, what happens there is you've got a sales leader that's all the new sales. Some people call that the hunting. And then you've got your CCO who's got all the existing sales, which some people call farming. You don't have to do that. That's a very advanced thing. Probably 10, 15% of people do that. 
But 95% of people have all that post-sales stuff under them and, and more and more about 60, 70% of a really good operations team. And you know, I've described it in some ways in the phases of- You touched on a word there in your response that I'm going to dig in on this because I think- just recently, you guys acquired Inside. Sorry, congratulations. That's thank you. Makes a ton of sense, and that's the word community, right? And that's a, a huge part of what Inside does. As a, I'm a big Zapier fan. Oh yeah, and I know that's one of Inside's customers. Shout out to Zapier. A University of Missouri grad started that thing. Oh yeah, that's uh -huh. right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually, right. But typically. In a lot of these sort of SaaS and, and the, the orbit in which the Gainsight operates in, you're dealing with the customer teams inside of your customers, but not necessarily your customers' customers. Correct. Inside, now we're creating the bridge from the individual customers of your customers all the way through your customers' teams and then into obviously the larger Gainsight operation. And now there's a there's that through line kind of from Gainsight all the way to Justin, the, the fan of Zapier trying to figure out how to do something. Talk to me a little bit about the evolution of the customer community and how that is brought into the larger vision of the customer operations and customer success and customer experience platform that you guys are building. Justin, I, I have one question. Are you in our meetings? Are you like listening to our Zoom conversations? Like no, literally, that is actually, it's funny, we haven't rolled all this out yet, but the, that vision of the, the way we think about it is there are these three axes, if you think of a triangle, right? Three vertices of a triangle, right? One is the teams that are in your company working with your customers, your support team, your sales right. team, your customer success team. Awesome, you mentioned that. The second act is a vertex in the triangle is, you, now you've got the, your end customers, as you said, that are maybe talking to each other through community and so on. And then the third one, by the way, is then you've got your actual software product itself, like Zapier or whatever product. And actually, Gainsight, one of the things we did a few years ago was we bought a company and then built it out to let you put code into your product to put in like guides and walkthroughs and messages to your customers inside your product, building a knowledge base, building support, chat and inside the product. So we, our whole vision is, can you connect the people work with their customers, your product, and your customers all together in this sort of virtual cycle. So you nailed it. And it fits with the way community has really evolved, to answer your question, because community started out in really two different use cases. One was in that old support world, right? Remember, support people want to reduce support costs. How do we reduce support costs? Maybe customers can help each other, and then they don't call us. Support ticket deflection. That's like the first use case of community. And so obviously that's why you can go and have an issue with your iPhone and go on the Apple forums and, and see that nobody ever answers the questions, but you can post your question, right? Concept of community, which by the way, does not always lead to a great customer experience is certainly out there and definitely a, probably the mainstream use case in the traditional old school model. But what happened was as companies moved to SaaS and cloud, they're like, whoa, we, it's not just about support ticket deflection. First of all, that's a crazy concept. Like I want to talk to my customers, but I want to get them to do stuff and get more value. And so these communities evolved and inside it as an example evolved to say, hey, let's position more around customer success. How do we actually focus more on helping customers, new customers learn from experienced ones and onboard better. Customers learn about advanced functionality and new use cases and best practices. And also, by the way, build personal relationships with each other and become advocates for the brand and all those kinds of things, right? Like very like positive, not defense, but offense growth mm -hmm. oriented, right? And so 
a lot of SaaS companies now just as a standard thing is, hey, build a community of your customers, get them to talk to each other. And in fact, there's this new term that's become real popular in startups called community-led growth. The way you grow isn't just through selling and marketing, but it's like your community, like helping you grow. A lot of the best companies now are growing through like these viral communities. And so building out community now is really more just than a defensive support taking deflection. It's an offensive strategy. And it's more than just even your customers just talking to each other. It's creating this conduit between the vendor and your customer and the other customers. And so we think of this kind of, we call that the customer hub vision. It's like this hub between the vendor and the customer and then all the other clients. And so there's a lot more you can imagine. You could, over time, you can then converge your knowledge base and the events the customer is going to, and a lot of other ways you interact with them, your success plan of like their goals all could be in this one place. And so our long-term vision is community is the way that a vendor can then connect with its customers and then have its connectors, customers connect with each other. And then customer success is the way your team connects with the customers. And then the product is the way that you, your customers connect in your software, right? And all this stuff tied together, you create this flywheel where you've now created this way to really grow your company in a much more sustainable, durable way by driving value for your customers. It's our long-term view is companies are still going to have to do a lot of sales and marketing and webinars and send emails and do phone calls, whatever, that's fine. But if you want to build a durable growth engine, you've got to make your customers successful. You've got to have a product that drives adoption and growth, and you've got to have a community. And those three things fit really well together. Yeah, they really do. And just... When I, rem- I remember reading that news, because it, it was really recent, like last month. Yeah, if I, yeah. four weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, just as a sort of nerd, I like to keep up on this kind of thing. And, yeah. and just across, I just love the concept of organic growth and how when an acquisition is made, what the, the synergies are, how you can tuck things. And I just, I absolutely love it. And the thing that really struck me about this one and... Hold aside insight and gainsight. I think just yep. as a way the world is going in, the, in, in, in general, we talk about this in marketing all the time, the concept of the dark funnel, right? Where yes. I can put on the world's greatest webinar, which I did last week. Everyone should check it out. It's on, productivity, <laughs> nice. it's on product, productivity tips. I can put on the greatest webinar in the world. I can get the, the world's most optimized landing page to get someone to fill out a lead uh, form. And I can have a, a world-class sales team to push that through the funnel. I can do all that stuff and I can measure everything. I can I can look at the click-through rates. I can look at the what part of the webinar they dropped off at. I can see the sales velocity inside the opportunity yeah. and sales. For, I can do all that stuff. What I can't do is understand what happens when that prospect like sends a Slack message to a friend of theirs in a group somewhere and says, hey, have you ever worked with capacity before? Yeah. What I can't do as a product owner is understand, hey, XYZ doesn't work. How do you get it to work? And oh, you got to plug this into that and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But through community marketing, through customer communities, through the advocacy and the development of those conversations and the insight into them, you can now have an understanding of that. You could flow it back into the the larger CSAT and yep. talk about feature adoption. If you're able to, t- if, if Gainsight's able to tell one of its customers, hey, your c- customers are talking about X, Y, Z, you can see the CSAT score is this, maybe you invest in that to bolster it or whatever. You're making a hell of a compelling case. And one that's not possible without some degree of deep technological integration, automation, being able to manage that sort of previous heretofore dark funnel that has now been illuminated. Totally. This is a really long-winded way of asking a simple question. (laughs) And that is, 
if community is one of the next horizons, let's look beyond even that and think about far into the future. We're coming up on time and I want to be respectful of your time. Totally. I would love to know, because you're a blue flame thinker and, and a tip of the spirit, a lot of the stuff. What's the what's some of the stuff in the future of automation and the customer relationship that has you most excited? Yeah, totally. I think there's there's three things that I'll, I'll share that feel like they're, you know, far enough away that they're a little bit futuristic, but not so far that you just totally wave your hand. Like, I, I think these three things will definitely happen. Flying I mean, cars. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Flying cars. We're all robots, right? In the future. But before we become AI robots, singularity, on the way to that, the thing that, and three things I think are pretty logical to happen. Number one is by having um, the data across all these different places. So for example, your interactions with your customer from your team, your CSMs, your support, and all this amazing data and now emails, chats, et cetera. And then combined with their interactions in your community and then their usage of your product. Finally, I think we can get to the world of actually using AI because I think AI has definitely been more dream than reality in, in B2B and software and SaaS. It showed up a little bit, of course, in chat bots and things like that. And there's some cool predictive support things happening. But I think it truly, in terms of truly understanding a customer and being able to recommend the right things to them and understanding the factors that drive churn, I think we actually as an industry will get there. So AI applied to all this feels like it goes from like the true hype cycle peak of inflated expectations to something more realistic um, because this data is coming together. That's number one. Number two, I think we can actually drive a more integrated, thoughtful customer journey. Because right now, one of the things that happens for vendors, I'm sure, Justin, you see this too, is like you've got, okay, these emails coming out from marketing and support team contacting the customer and then some messages popping up in the app to the customer and then there's a community invite and come join our training program and CSM reaching out and sales reaching out. There's no lack of love for the customer now, but it's a little bit too much and it's not very, it's not organized. It's not very effective. You can't tell what's working. And so I think coming up with a more organized customer journey is a second thing that's very possible now that all these things are coming together. And then the third thing that I think ties to that is how do we actually create a more unified customer experience that's more in the product? So one of the things I think interesting right now is how fragmented things are. So you're the client, you buy Zapier or whatever. You're like, oh, I have Zapier. It's okay. I'm not going to go to the community site. By the community site, it's us. So that's that's our, our, our particular responsibility there. You go to this right, community.zapier.com, right? Oh, but is it a knowledge-based thing? I got to look that up somewhere else. Oh, is it a support thing? I got to go to the Zendesk portal. Oh, no, I actually need to email my CSM. Oh, actually, it's a commercial thing. Maybe I need to talk to my salesperson. The Zapier is much better about all this because a lot of it's self-service. But right. a lot of them are like that. Brother, I think Gainsight's that. We, we're too fragmented. So how do we create a more unified customer experience where I'm in the product and relatively seamlessly, whether it's a support issue or it's talking to my CSM or it's filling out a survey or understanding a new feature or even communicating with other customers, can I do more of that in the product? And we call that a customer hub, like building the customer experience into this integrated thing that's going to be in the product. So those three things like AI becoming more of a reality, truly stitching together the customer journey and then putting as much of that as possible in the product. Those are three that feel very solvable for all of us in the industry. Yeah. I am fully with you on the cohesiveness experience. And it's interesting when we go through our lives here in 2022, like I always use this as an example, Tim and the team up in Cupertino have built like a user experience that's literally second to none where everything in this device serves the other 
like components of the device from a hardware perspective, software yep. perspective. If I need to get support, there's an app on here. I can do it. I, I literally never leave my iPhone to manage my entire life, which effectively, you know, Apple owns at this point. So shout out to Tim Cook and all of them for building a $3 trillion company. Just, <laughs> <laughs> their, their earnings last quarter when they were like, oh, $130 billion, a 48% gross margin or whatever. And I'm like, that's in a quarter. I don't read it, Justin. It's, it's too, it's too mind boggling. It's so insignificant in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> I don't want to read it. It's just mind boggling. But the broader point is that there is a cohesive experience that they have created. And that is a experience that in my professional life, I don't necessarily get because to your point, there is some sort of fragmentation. So to unify the tool set for the customer teams to the, the a best in breed platform of everything you need, you guys are well on your way to doing that. And, and kudos to you for doing that. And from the customer's point of view, outside of Apple, a lot of other companies have the opportunity to build a cohesive experience for their customers. And to do that, they're going to need the right chief customer officer in place. They're gonna need the right technology office or stack in place. And they're going to need the right alignment across all their product and customer teams to build everything that, that that's necessary. Nick, I could talk to you all day about this stuff, but we are running on time. Let's end with my little quick fire round here I do with everybody. Sure. And I'm going to challenge you a little bit because you, you're, for some of these, I don't want you to uh, recommend one of your own works here. But what's the book that you most often recommend to people? I'll, I'll, I'll give you two. Okay. The one that's practical and one that's completely impractical, but is just deep into the mind of the metaphysical world. So the practical one is Five Dysfunctions of Teams, mm. uh, which is a great book by Patrick Lencioni. And it is totally like ever. it's about how teams get dysfunctional and you read it and you're like, oh, there's no, no way that's my company, my team. And then you read it you're like, holy cow, that's my company. That's my team. And then you can get better. Read it. Absolutely no brainer. A couple it's hours. An all, it's an all timer. And it's, that's a business book, Mount Rushmore book. hundred percent. Mount Rushmore, hundred percent. And then uh, my, my metaphysical one is a, couple, a book called Godel Asher Bach, which is about the nature of reality uh, based on this famous math theorem called Godel's incompleteness theorem and huh. how it shows how where consciousness might come from so if you want an 800 page book about math that's the one to read and i've read it multiple times i <laughs> oh, love it all right next one you're a successful entrepreneur ceo of the large business you're a busy guy so productivity and managing your time is very important what's one tip trick practice define it how you want that you've pulled into your daily routine that you would swear by yeah totally there's two i'll give you the related they're both about actually more balance because i for my, for me, like I'm trying to be the marathon or not the sprinter. I've been doing Gainsight nine years. I think this is a good opportunity for the industry and for us and for our customers. And so I want to do it 18 more years. I want to keep going. So two things that help me keep going. Number one is in the last couple of years, post COVID, I uh, convert as many things I can into calls and I walk a ton. I, and I publish uh, yeah. steps I did to the company every day. And I actually average probably 15,000 steps a day. That's like seven, seven and a half miles a day. So I walk a ton and I love it. And it gives me so much energy. And then number two is on the same, same spirit of balance. We have a kind of thing on the, against I'm really trying to have, let people disconnect on the weekends. So to try to practice what I preach, I turn, I go into my iPhone, into the settings and I turn off email and all my work apps every Friday night. I don't turn them on until Sunday night. Now somebody can still reach me if they want to text me or whatever. I've got my computer if I need to. But I really try to just like take it off the phone so it can't be there with me. Yeah, I love that. That's one of my 
tips too. Whenever I go on vacation, literally delete, delete it. I delete it too. <laughs> I don't, I know there's it. other ways to do it. I delete it. That's funny, Justin, you do that too. Because if it's there and I'm just pick it up, I'm going to tap it. But if it's not there, I won't. You, you totally. have to put the, the resource has to wear the blinders. There's so much effort to read because you have to reinstall, yeah. type in your password. Oh, yeah. Off, uh, so I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do that. Yes. Yeah. I, I love Slack. They don't necessarily make it the easiest thing to log into. So shout out to Stuart and, and, and Benny off for that one. Nick Meta, thank you so much for your time today. Awesome. Where can people um, learn more about you, follow Gainsight? Where, where should we send people? You get one of them with metaphysical.com, which is my personal blog. And then obviously Gainsight.com. But then I'm pretty active on Twitter, N-R-M-E-H-T-A, and then LinkedIn. So definitely uh, look forward to the conversation. This awesome. has been so much, Austin. Really enjoyed it. Oh, I appreciate it, man. Nick Meta, thank you for coming on the Support Automation Show. The Support Automation Show is brought to you by Capacity. Visit capacity.com to find everything you need for automating support and business processes in one powerful platform. You can find this show by searching for Support Automation in your favorite podcast app. Please subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Capacity, thanks for listening. <laughs>